Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. And I'm glad that I get to be here uh, with you this morning, uh, worshiping with you as we are continuing in this series that we are calling The Being Challenge. The Being Challenge. This is a 40-day journey that we've been on uh, as a church uh, in which we're spending time with Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. Because that's our, that's our mission here as a church, is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. But if you're going to become like him, you need to spend time with him. And that's what this journey has been about. We've been looking at different habits that Jesus uh, uh, had in his life, things that he did on a regular basis, and asking ourselves the question, if we were to do likewise, what difference would that make uh, in our lives? And uh, last week, Pastor Eric did a brilliant job unpacking habit number four, which is uh, that we seek solitude. Uh, just like Jesus took some time away in order to uh, kind of get his priorities straight to silence competing voices and to, and to get in touch with the heart of his father. So we are called to do likewise. And so I'd love to know, how did solitude go for y'all this past week? Eric was like, yeah, it was awesome. So I got some thumbs up. Some people are just kind of like, I don't know. I'm guessing some of us had a hard time with solitude, uh, which is okay. Uh, hopefully you kind of heard that uh, loud and clear last week. It's okay. Uh, especially uh, whenever you're starting a new habit. It doesn't always go well when you first kick it off. The point is uh, that we try. And so I think it's only right that before we look at the the last habit in this series, let's take a moment of solitude now uh, to allow God to still our hearts and prepare them for what he has for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you so much thanks that you have gathered us in this place as your people. And Lord, we do indeed pray. We pray that in this time you would silence the the voices of our hearts, the things that that would seek to distract us um, from hearing you. And that in this moment, Lord, you would teach us, you would guide us, you would grow us that we could become more and more like you. So Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us. And God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So habit number five uh, that we're focusing on in this series is the habit of choosing church. Uh, You heard it from Ebony just a moment ago as the kids were going out. They're they're learning about choosing church. Uh, This is a priority for Jesus, actually, was was choosing church, was was kind of selecting his people. And and one of the things that I think is important to acknowledge about this habit, part of the reason this habit, I think, is, is in many ways one of the most challenging habits is because it's hard to choose something that you don't understand. And we live in a culture that is increasingly post-churched. And even the word church, I think, conjures up a lot of different images and assumptions. And and often those are the very things that get in the way of us saying yes to this final habit. Of saying yes to choosing church. A lot of different reasons uh, why that might be. 
I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of stand-up comedy, by the way. I love listening to stand-up comedy. And now I'm not to the level of Eric Hawley fan of stand-up comedy, okay? Eric actually does stand-up comedy. I don't do stand-up comedy. But I love listening to stand-up comics. And there was one uh, comic in particular a couple of years ago, a guy by the name of Tom Papa. Uh, and Tom Papa had this bit called uh, um, uh, Visiting Church. or go- It was actually called Going to Church. And it's a story he told about his daughter uh, one day asked him, Daddy, can we go to church? They, they always passed by a church whenever she was going to school. And, and she was like, Dad, I want to know what's in that awesome looking building. Let's go to church together. And he's just like, all right, well, church isn't usually our thing, but all right, cool. And he's like, and we dressed my little daughter up and, and she looked like this little princess, right? And we went into church. And then he describes this absolutely crazy, otherworldly and terrifying experience. First, And this is what he did. I, I'm not going to recreate it as well as he did. He said, but we walked in and suddenly we we sat on these hard benches that were horribly uncomfortable. And then there were all these like old people who suddenly the moment they saw my daughter were like, welcome little girl. And it was like she was about to be attacked by witches. And then suddenly this one dude comes in chanting in a language we didn't understand, waving smoke at us. And so now we have tears in our eyes and, and we're coughing. And then, then the priest comes in and he's in these black robes. It's almost like he's Dracula, you know, like just practically floating in the smoke. Like, Good evening and welcome. <laughs> He's like, and my daughter starts doing what all little children do. She starts to cry, right? And so she starts weeping, and then they're continuing to chant, and then they talk about how we're going to eat this dude's flesh and drink his blood. And we were like, that's it. We're out of here. And, we, and I grabbed my little girl, and we ran down the, the, the aisle. We busted out, uh, out onto the sidewalk into the sunlight, and we had this moment where we looked at each other, and we just started laughing. We just started laughing because what we realized is wherever God is, he was a lot closer to us out here than he was in there. Now, I love stand-up comedy, but quite on, and I know comics are meant to make you laugh, but that almost made me cry, and not because it was so funny that I had tears in my eyes. It made me cry because that's exactly what I think some people think of when they think of church. This bizarre, otherworldly experience that has absolutely no relevance to how we live today, where God seems more real out on the sidewalk than he does in our buildings. I think that's one of the reasons why it's hard to choose church. I think there's another reason that it's hard to choose church. This one might be a little closer to home. I'm sorry if this seems a little too soon, but this is the other reason it's kind of hard to choose church, isn't it? Everybody kind of remember this moment where... uh, President Trump kind of tear-gassed a crowd in order to stand in front of a church that he didn't worship at and hold a Bible that he professed wasn't his own in order to get a photo op. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not getting political with this. I'd be just as mad if Joe Biden did the same thing, okay? Um, Because what this tells our culture and part of the reason people outside the church have a hard time with church is because they see people doing things like this, using their faith to prop up their own power. They see religion as nothing more than a political power play. And they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. There's a third reason I think it's hard for people to choose church is because of the ways in which the church has caused harm to people. I think it is a heartbreaking thing of what we've seen happening in churches around the world, not just the Catholic church, but other churches where we have you know, scandals and abuse that have been covered up for decades finally coming to light. 
See, this is part of the reason why I think people have such a difficult time when we say, hey, Jesus chose church, we should choose churches. It brings up all these images of church that quite honestly, there isn't anything attractive about that. As a pastor, I'm going to tell you there's nothing attractive about that. But that's what people think. But there's also something else that's kind of fascinating to note in our culture today. And that is that while people have a hard time with church, they still love Jesus. And I think it's part of the reason why we've seen this growing trend among people who say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Because they, they, they like the person who's at the center of our faith, but they don't like the institution that's kind of gotten built around it, right? Right? In fact, I was doing a, a little research, uh, kind of looking at some st- statistics from Barna. This, is, uh, this, this statistic is actually pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, uh, what Barna found is 10% of the American population, total American population, loves Jesus but not the church. One in 10 people say, I, I love Jesus but not the church for all the reasons we just talked about and probably a few others. But here's the other thing that Barna found out just this past year as they went back and did their research. They found that nearly a third of regular churchgoers haven't been in church or worshipped online since the start of the pandemic. Think about that for a second. A third of the people who said, I actually do like church, haven't been back to church since the pandemic began. Why? It's because we have this growing trend, this growing mindset that I love Jesus and I can love Jesus And I can even follow Jesus, but I don't need the church to do that. I don't need the church to do that. The church is a barrier. The church is a problem. The church is something I got to get over, right? I, I can follow Jesus. I don't need the church. There's just one problem with that line of thinking. It's that Jesus invented the church. (laughs) The church is his idea, in fact, I love when, when Jesus was telling his, his disciples, specifically Peter, what he wanted him to do. He actually said this in, in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus' whole intention was to build the church. That's why he came. He tied his entire mission and its success and its future to the existence of this thing called church. And in fact, you get to the book of Revelation and it gets even more explicit. Jesus says, I'm actually coming back for my church. He calls the church his bride. He talks about when he returns and and he comes back to this world to make all things new. It will be a day of celebration between him and his church, his bride, his beloved. The one that he calls his own. And so the question is, then what the heck is church? What the heck is it? Because there's all these other stuff that we've got around this term that obviously, and, and quite honestly, I would agree with, would say that there's nothing attractive about that. And yet Jesus says at the very heart of what he came to do, the success of his entire mission was dependent on this thing called church. What is it? And I think the answer answer that I have seen in scripture, a passage that I've come back to over and over and over again is the passage that was read just a few moments ago from Acts chapter 2. Here's why I love this passage. This is the very first description that we get in the New Testament of this thing called church. 
It happens on Pentecost. It's after uh, the Apostle Peter has, has preached his very first sermon. And as he gets to the end of that sermon, speaking good news to the people about a God of grace and love and mercy. And how this God has come to rescue them. This God has died for them. This God has risen again from the dead. And they are welcome in his presence. He gets to the end of that message. And the crowds are stunned. And they ask him the question, what do we need to do in order to be saved? And Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for everyone our Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then this is the description that I'm talking about with the church. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, and they gave them to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That blows my mind. I especially love that line praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What if, when we said the word church, people were like, that sounds like a group of people I want to be a part of. Because that's exactly what's going on. That when you look at this description of what the early church is, what you realize is it's not an institution. It's not a building. You know, it's not a political party or power. What is it? It's a community of people. And it's a community of people who are living in a way that is utterly astounding, beautifully attractive, and something that people can't possibly ignore. It is a group of people who at the very center of everything that they do is this message of good news. And as they teach that good news, as they preach about that good news, as they learn about that good news, it overflows in good works to a point where these people are so generous they're willing to give of what they have so that those without might have. This group of people who are willing to open their doors to their homes and welcome each other around tables. In a society and a culture where table fellowship was the ultimate distinguishing mark of who is in and who is out, they said the door is open, there is a spot for you at the table, welcome home. You are welcome in our place. They are people who are praying together, worshiping together, serving together, loving together, and proclaiming good news together. I love how the uh, late uh, British theologian preacher uh, John Stott put it. He says, when you look at this community, what you realize about this community is that it is a learning community, a loving community, a worshiping community, and an evangelistic community. 
A learning community in the sense that they are constantly learning about who God is and who he's called them to be. I love where it talks about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a people who wanted to know more about the God that they worshiped, who studied the scriptures deeply. Because they understood, as we learned earlier in this series, that the Bible is not a religious book. It's a love letter. It's a book that ultimately points us to the God who loves us. It's all about Jesus. And they wanted to know him more. But they were also a worshiping community. They gathered together to pray and to worship. They did that uh, together in community as they praised God and prayed together. They were a loving community that was sacrificial and generous with everything that they had and welcomed people. And, And they were an evangelistic community in the sense that they wanted people to know why. They wanted to introduce people to the God who is at the center of it all. That's what church is. Because there's another thing that I think is fascinating, and it's a question that I want to ask. If you, ever, if you really st- take a moment to step back and look a lot closer at that description, what do we find? Who does this community sound like? community for whom the scriptures were so important. A community where signs and wonders are being performed. A community where outcasts are welcomed in, where people are healed and fed and cared for. A community where good news is proclaimed, where prayer is prioritized. Who does this sound like? It sounds like Jesus. This community sounds like Jesus. This is a community that quite honestly, if you were to study the gospels, if you were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you suddenly hear about this community, you're like, oh, I know who they follow because I've heard about him. I understand him. They are the ones who follow Jesus. In fact, it's later on as the church is going out into new environments, crossing cultural boundaries, that they get a new name. They get a name by, by other people who are saying, this isn't just like a small subset of Judaism. This is not another religious grouping. This is a bizarre bunch of people. They called them Christians. Do you know what the word Christian means in Greek? It means little messiahs. Tiny Jesuses. It's like these are the people who follow the Savior. These are the people who follow Jesus. And it was meant to be a joke. But the reality is, is it was true. That's exactly who they were. They were the people who were called by Jesus' name and for whom Jesus was at the center of absolutely everything that they did in such a way that they couldn't help but keep it to themselves. It overflowed in how they loved, how they served, how they proclaimed and embodied good news. This is what Jesus came to build. He said, this is the rock on which I will build my church. This is my bride whom I love. That's exactly what he meant. Because see, from the beginning of time, from the moment when Adam and Eve first betrayed God and turned their backs on him, God put a plan into existence to bring his good news, his healing and redemptive work to a broken world. But his plan was to do it through people. 
to come and to rescue and to redeem those made in his image. To call them to join him in the work that he was doing of healing all that was broken. It kind of explains why church is messy business, doesn't it? God has chosen us, imperfect things though we are, and said, you're going to be the ones who bring good news. But yet, when Jesus is at the center, it makes all the difference of the world. When we realize that the kingdom is not about us and it's about him. When we realize that the good news that we have to proclaim isn't our good news about our agenda, but it's rather good news about him and what he's done in his plans. It changes absolutely everything. Jesus says, this is what I desire. To gather together a people called by my name who will go into the world and embody and proclaim good news in word and in deed. This is what I am all about. You can't love Jesus without loving the church. You can't choose Jesus without choosing the church. Why? Because this is why he came. I think it's part of the reason why the early church, when they were talking about the importance of this community, wrote this. We have the writer of Hebrews saying, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. All the more as we see the day approaching when Jesus will return, let's not give up being together. Why? Because it's here that we are reminded of who we are. It's here that we're reminded of who's at the center of everything we do, the Savior who's called us by his name, who's given us his spirit, and who continues to go with us as we proclaim good news. Don't give up on that. That is the greatest gift that he's given us, is this new group of people, because when we are together, he is here. Lest you doubt it, remember what Jesus himself said, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That was his promise to us, and he says, this is the greatest gift that I can give you is a community in which you are reminded of who I am, what I've done for you, and who you are called to be. We don't do this life alone. And it's as we walk into that calling together that the world suddenly starts to say, there's something different about the one that they follow. I want to know this Christ by whose name they're called. I want to know this Jesus that they say is their savior. Why? Because they see his spirit at work in and through us. Don't give up on that. We're called to choose church because Jesus chose us. We choose church because that's why Jesus came. Was to call us his own. To die for us to rise again in glory and say, join me in the work that I'm doing, to give us a new name, a new family, a new purpose and calling. He says, that's what my church is all about. That's who we are and what we are called to do. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. Because the only way that the world is going to come to know the one who is indeed love and grace itself is when we do that together. Why? Because that's his plan, not ours. That's the way he designed it to work. And it's in obedience to that calling that we go out because our world desperately needs good news. And Jesus says, and the way that I'm going to bring it is through you. You are mine. I've called you my own. 
The truth is, is we're not going to get it right all the time. We're messed up, broken people. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. But Jesus says, but that's why my church is the one thing that matters most, because it's here that we're reminded that we're forgiven. It's here that we're reminded of who it is we follow. And it's here that we're sent out with his presence together to bring people who, yes, are forgiven and who give forgiveness. People who've heard good news and who proclaim it. People who've experienced welcome and hospitality and so we open our doors. Jesus is at the center of this community called church. That's why we choose it. It's because he's called us his own and he says, join me now in the work that I am doing to bring that kind of love and good news into the world. That's who we are called to be. And so this morning, I think it's important to remind ourselves of that. That's why we read Acts chapter 2. And I think that's a, it's also part of the reason why together here at Galewood, brothers and sisters, we have such a beautiful opportunity. You have been called here to this place by the God who loves you. You've been welcomed into this community because he desires that you would be a part of the work that he wants to do in this neighborhood and in the neighborhoods around it. That in a city that's divided along community lines, socioeconomic lines, racial lines, we get to be the one place where it says the door is open and there's a spot for you at the table. That in a place that desperately needs to know good news, we get to be the good news people in word and deed. And the, the calling for us is to, yes, choose church, to be church, but to invite others as well. Because the church is not a building with its door closed. God is not done with this community. The church is still growing. His bride is still getting dressed and getting ready for the party. And we have the opportunity to be the people who extend the invitation. And so as we're approaching the being challenge, I want to conclude this message by having a time in which we pray for that, that we would be reminded that that's who we are and that we would step forward in faith with the calling knowing that that is who we're called to be. And so I wanted to ask you to please join me as we pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that we who once were not a people are now called a people. That we who were once outcasts have been welcomed in that we who were once sinners are called forgiven. And Lord, we pray that, it, that that would be at the very center of everything that we do, that we remember that it is because of you, Jesus, that we're here. It's your name by which we are called. And we pray that that would be the hope that we then give to a world that so desperately needs it. And so Lord, help us to not keep this good news to ourselves, but rather help us to be good news people who go out and who invite, who go out and who welcome, who go out and who serve, to be the kind of people who ultimately, who ultimately give good news to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. It's in your holy, in your precious name that we pray. Amen.